the, uh, Satan challenges him. He comes and, and does the, what we call the temptations. And, uh, and Jesus handles them pretty remarkably, actually. But it says from that point that, that this is, that, that he, after the angels attend to him, it says that he goes back to Capernaum and he lives there. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, what did he do? Did he start renting a room or, you know, did he go hang out with his cousins? You know, like he went and lived there. Like we don't think of Jesus in those kind of, those, in, that, in that manner. I mean, Jesus was just like that, that incredible guy that goes around and, and does all these wonderful things. But I think it's important to understand just the, the commonness of his life. Because, because it relates to our own commonness. But it says at that point that John the Baptist gets um, put into jail. And so it, Jesus at that point begins what we call his public ministry. He goes out and he says, he says, he proclaimed and said that the kingdom of God is at hand. Which, fancy wording, but it just means it's here, folks. The kingdom is here. And not only did he proclaim it, it's a good word, pro proclamation. Some translations translate those two words together and say he preached. And I'm like, no, preaching is what Pastor Edmund does. Rightly divides the word, he shares it with you, but proclaiming is that announcement, hey, it's come, it's here. And then he would say about it, which means he would also dialogue with people about the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it says that he went around and healed the sick, cast out demons. So not only did he talk about the kingdom, but he demonstrated the kingdom. It was not a, just a talking point. It was not just a discussion. It was a reality. And it affected every part of everybody's life. Well, three years later, we get to where we're at. And you would think by this point that Jesus would have, you know, like fine-tuned his ministry. And now he's preaching before, you know, churches of, you know, thousands. And he would have had that nice uh, mega church going on. But guess what? At this point in his ministry, he's still talking about the kingdom and he's still healing the sick and helping people who are oppressed by demons. Three years of consistent ministry. And it's important to know that because when he talks, when he uses the parables, the parables is one of his chief instruments for helping people understand what that kingdom that he's talking about looks like. So today we're going to be looking at one of those parables. And we're going to look at it to find and understand the nature and character of what God's kingdom is like. Can we pray? Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit come and, and open our eyes and, our, and our, our minds and our hearts to the truth of who you are. Amen. So, um, just prior to this, this uh, parable, um, eh, not just prior, um, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, and he does it in the most spectacular way. 
which is actually the opposite, because he comes riding in on a little foal of a donkey, and it's like, I just imagine this scene, like, like, it, like trying to hold him up. There's something absurd, ridiculous, about the way God does things. We think he comes, we think he should come in power, mm, you know, trumpets blaring on those big white horse doing that little prancy thing, but no, he comes in on the most humble of, me, of ways. But when he gets inside the city, he goes to the temple, and of course, that's where he begins to do healing again. And, uh, and it says the crowds followed him there. So of course, the, uh, the Pharisees and the uh, priests and all that, like, they let that pass. But the next day when he comes in, oh, he also turns over the tables that first day. He just comes in and says, you know, this is my father's house. And you've made it, you know, a den of thieves. So it's pretty uh, kind of radical. We don't see Jesus in that, in that manner very often. In fact, I don't think we see it at all, except that point. But anyway, the next day, he comes in, and the Pharisees and the scribes say to him, like, by what authority are you doing these things? Because mind you, when we hear about Jesus healing, I don't know what you guys think about that, like, like, in your mind, what does that look like? Like today, when we pray, we get around people, we lay hands on them, and then we just start going, God, come on, come on, God, do this. But that wasn't Jesus' manner. He just walk up and say, be healed. He didn't say, in the name of God, be healed. He didn't say, in the name of Jesus, he didn't invoke his own name. He just said, be healed. Where are you getting this authority? Because not only did he just say it, but it happened. So the, so the Pharisees are like, what's the deal? Where did you get this? And Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question if you answer me this question. He says, by what authority did John the Baptist um, come? And so, of course, they get in their little huddle and they're talking. And like Some are saying, well, if we say it was from God, then he'll say to us, well, then why didn't you believe? Because they opposed what John the Baptist was doing. But then if we say it was just the work of man, then all the people that are here in the temple that went to John and believed that John was there as a, as a prophet of God, they will get angry with us. So, of course, in their very diplomatic manner, they, they turn to Jesus and say, we don't know. And so Jesus says, well, if you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. And then he starts with this. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. What do you think? All right, if y'all want to stand, reading of the word. Jesus says this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and he said, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. And he turns to the Pharisees and he says, which of the two did the will of the father? And they answered the first. The word of God. 
So, let's start with the beginning. What do you think? I don't know if you're familiar with any kind of education, but the, the new thing in education this day, these days is, is to not be, not to do what I'm doing, which is to stand up and tell you everything. The new way of education today is to ask questions. And through asking questions, it provokes something inside of us to want to find the answers. And the idea is not to ask questions that are yes and no or are specific to it. It's, it's to provoke people to think about, feel about, to try to understand the, the larger context of the subject that's being talked about. So Jesus, in, in perfect fashion for education today, says to them, what do you think? He's, he's inviting them into this. Hey, hey you guys, listen to this. I want you to tell me what you think about this. All right? So this is the story. Oh, by the way, ah, yeah, let me just say this really quick. Parables, I said before, Jesus uses parables to talk about the kingdom. So there's usually, there's usually three aspects that, that come out in every parable. One, there's something that is, that's talked about in terms of the nature of the king. If you have a kingdom, you have a king. So what is the king like? So we're looking for that. Two, what are the subjects like? If you have a kingdom, you don't have a king if you don't have people. So what are the people that are part of that kingdom? What are they like? And then, of course, then there's just the general nature or the atmosphere, the environment of the kingdom itself. So those are three things that we're looking for. So he says to them, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go work in the vineyard. So let's just talk about the king. The king, I like to think of it as an invitation, but it really isn't. I like to think of it as an invitation because I, I, I from other parts of Scripture, there's this, there's this idea that God is constantly inviting us into his work. Jesus says in John chapter 5, it says, the Father, my Father is always at his work. To this very day, meaning from the very beginning to the point that we are at right now, he is working. And Jesus then says, and I can only do, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I'm not doing stuff and again, that actually, that passage, when he says that, is in context or is, is in relationship to, again, the Pharisees asking him what authority that he, he operates under. And he says, I, don't, I do it under the Father's authority. But here's the thing that we need to understand. The Father is at work. He's not sitting up there waiting for us to do right things or wrong things so that he can administer uh, 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 grace and or punishment, he is about his work. And Jesus gives us an indication as to what that work is in his own statements. He says, the Son of Man comes to seek and save that which is lost. The man, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he also says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Gotta like that. Eating and drinking. Anyway. He just hung out, you know? 
Like, you look at Matthew. Actually, I, I did this uh, study of Matthew. Just, just took the whole Bible and went through, and every time there was a verb associated with Jesus, like, Jesus did this, or Jesus said this. I just, I wrote it down. And most of the time, the, the, large, the, 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 the most common verb used is Jesus said. But it also, just to let you know, it says Jesus taught them, Jesus preached, Jesus proclaimed, but the most common one was Jesus said. And when Jesus, when you hear that word said, it's not like a teaching, like I'm up here doing this thing for you. It's a gathering and a discussion and a dialogue. Jesus spent most of his time just dialoguing with people, which is why the meal is so important, because it's the best context to dialogue. I mean, you have to look at each other in the face, right, when you're sitting around the table, and you're like, you have to nourish yourself, so it just, anyway, it's a beautiful context. Use it, please. But I digress. Getting back to this. The Father is always at his work. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost, which is what ultimately God is interested in. But here, he's not doing it necessarily for our sake, although he is doing it for our sake, but his primary reason for doing it is because he himself wants the glory. God is jealous for his glory. I mean, there's a passage in Ezekiel where, where Ezekiel, I think it's 36, says, he, he says, God is going to raise you back up, people. The nation, he's talking to the nation of Israel. And Ezekiel was one of the prophets that was in exile. He wasn't speaking from the nation of Israel. He was speaking from Babylon, where he had been taken as a captive. And he's talking to the people of Israel. And he said, God's going to restore you. But he's not going to restore you for your sake. Nope. It has nothing to do with you. He's going to restore you for his own name's sake. He said he's going to lift you back up. Because he said, you know what? Here's the reason. He's not doing it because you profane my name. God says we profane his name by, by actually by just being in exile. Because the people said of you that your God is weak. And that your God lets you go into exile. My name is profaned. I look small in the eyes of the world because of you. But he goes, but that doesn't matter. I'm still going to raise you up. But just hear this. It's not because you did anything right. But it's because of my glory and my intentions of bringing glory to me. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I don't understand why God does that because I look at myself in the mirror I watch myself, and I'm like, bad idea. <laughs> I just, I'm like, how could I possibly, why would he want to use me? Well, there's a thing called the wisdom of God, and I don't think we'll ever understand it. But he's chosen to use us as his primary instrument and primary means to bring glory to himself. And that's why God is so interested in you. And that's why God wants to lift you up. And that's why God wants to set you free. Because he wants you to be that instrument that carrying that message of grace. Carrying that message of love. Carrying that message that God is still alive and active today. So that is the work that he is about. 
And it's important to note that if you're part of the kingdom, and if you're saying to yourself, I want to be a part of this kingdom, that, that God is going to be inviting you in. And in fact, in this case, he actually just commands them, go work in the vineyard. Because being in the kingdom is about working. Let's talk about the nature of the kingdom itself. So there's two responses here, right? The first son says, no, I won't. I mean, I can just see, it's like my kids when they were two and three. No! <laughs> Clean up your room. No! <laughs> Sit at the table. No! Finish your peas. No! <laughs> you know? There's something about that age where, where you're testing the limits, you know, and you're challenging authority. And it just like, listen to this. This is one of his own sons. I will not. I will not. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? This, this is an Eastern culture. And here in the West, we don't think like people in the East do. We are a guilt-based culture. They are a shame-based culture. Here, we feel guilty about things that we do. You know, like, and, and, but their shame is the, is the primary thing. Like, you don't want to bring shame to your name. You do not want to bring shame to your family name. You do not want to bring shame to your village. Because it's more important what happens in the context of community than what happens to you as an individual. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, this bears out. I just, you know, like, if you ever watch things like Jerry Springer and stuff like that, I mean, like, people are up there like, like, Here's the, you know, the mother that's, that's, that's sleeping with her daughter's boyfriend. You know, and it's like, are you kidding? Like, who wants to go on TV to proclaim that you've just done that? Anyway. Anyway. That's us. Anyway, shame-based society. It's important in a shame-based society that you do not lose face. So therefore, it's also important that you do not cause somebody to lose face. How is this done? One of the ways this is done, um, uh, in, um, I just know this to be true in, in, in China. I know this to be true in Japan for sure, but, but I think it's pretty consistent out of Thailand as well. But in these countries, if somebody says to you, you know, I, I need you to do this, I want you to do this, you don't say no. You never say no. Because that would be shaming that person. That, that would be the, like right in front of everybody, you're defying that. And it makes them look stupid. Like, I don't know, like we talked about those, those two-year-old kids. I don't know about you, but when my kids would say no, like something would rise up inside of me like, what? You know, like, who do you think you are? I am your father, you know? And even now, you know, if, if, like, my kids like to joke around with me. My kids are adults now. They're in their 20s. But uh, they still like to joke around. And there's times when they take that joking a little far. And I sit there, and I'm like, wow, that hurt, you know, like, the things that they say. And they say them in the presence of other people, and it hurts even more. And so here, this son is defiant, defiant to his father. I will not and shames him there on the spot. So, 
Of course, the father says, I'm reprimanding you. Go, go to your room. You know, you know, go, you, you're, you have no, you know, cell phone for the next week. Or, you know, like, this is right, right? This is what the father's going to do. As a result of this shaming, he's going to put him in his place. But the father does nothing. He neither chastises the son who says, I will not, nor praises the son who says, I will, sir. Notice that? I will, sir. I mean, it's the ultimate opposite of the other. Respect, I call you sir, I say the right words, I will. But it's, it's important to note that the nature of the kingdom is about grace. The Father doesn't do anything. He just doesn't, he doesn't take it to heart. He, he allows us to be where we're at when we're at that place. Find you, I, I just know for myself, this was a, this was, this passage, like God's used this passage to speak to me at a time where I was, I was, I was tired of being the faithful servant. You know? Like, like I looked at myself in the context of other people at church and who was the guy that was always showing up and who was the guy that was doing this and like, I was like, I'm tired of that. And I remember, you know, like that first time, I'm like, no. And it was like literally, no, God, I'm not going to do it. And I mean, people around me were like in shock, like, what? How could you do that? But like at that moment, God came and spoke grace to me. I love you now more than I ever have loved you. There's nothing that you can do, Craig, that would cause me to love you more than I love you now. And there's nothing you can do, Craig, at this moment that would cause me to love you any less. I love you. It is unconditional. It is constant. It is faithful. It is like that solid rock. And when we sing, He is good, it's because we know that to be true. Because He's always ready to forgive He's always ready to say, hey, it's all right. Like, you can shame me, you can try, but he's God. And that stuff just rolls right off. It rolls right off. And he says, I'm still going to use you in spite of the fact that you may profane my name. I'm still going to use you because it's for my sake that I'm going to do it. So we got one, that the that the father, when it describes the king, the king is about his work. And the kingdom, it's done in the midst of grace. Alright? And that's important to note. That this is done in the midst of grace. So now let's look at the subjects. we got two sons. We have son number one, who, who says no. <laughs> he says no. But there's something important to understand about this. There's an authenticity to this that is rare in the church today. We are more concerned about how we look. More, uh, we're more concerned about whether or not, like, 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 am I doing the right thing? Do I look Christian or not? You know, God doesn't care if you come to church or not. Sorry, Edwin. 
Pastor Edwin. But he doesn't. There's nothing in the Bible that says go to church. Nowhere. You can't find it in the New Testament. I know y'all look at me like, well, then why am I here? <laughs> well, in Hebrews it says, do not forsake the assembling of the brethren. It's the place of edifying. But here's the thing. It's, it's, it was never a command for us to like, come and do this. But this was the context, family, in which the life of Christ was supposed to be lived out. And sometimes we get to this point where we lose that aspect of family and it becomes more of a gathering of Christians and a, a religious gathering. And so then it's important what you wear. Then it's important that you say the right words. God bless you. You know, uh, you know it's important that even though if you're going through a difficult time that you're like, you know, God's good, God's gracious, when in your heart you're saying... My life sucks. Like, there's something about that. We, we lose authenticity. And here, here, authenticity is, is, is I say, it's, it's encouraged. Because I think it's in authenticity that you can actually start to share where you're at. And through that, that you can actually get to the point where, all right, you know, yes. I am angry. Yes, I am tired. But you know what? Let me just go put an hour in. Let me go put two hours in to the vineyard. You know, let me just go. But there's something that happens in the midst of that reality, in the midst of that authenticity, that I think the Spirit shows up. Because the real person is where the Spirit was going to want to be with. And it's at that place that the Spirit can encourage and move us into the vineyard and move us into that work. But then there's the other son. There's the one that says, I will, sir. And it's all talk. It's all talk. It looks good. It sounds good but you're not out there doing it. And when it comes to the subjects of the kingdom, the one, and here's the thing, again, it's not, oh, this is the good one, and this is the bad one, because there's times when we're going to be both. We're going to look good, and we're going to sound good, and we're not going to be actually out there. And there's going to be times where we're more authentic, and we feel like we're a terrible Christian because we're being authentic, but we actually get into the fray. But it doesn't matter. that those Either one, it's not challenged. At the end of it, it's who is doing the will of the Father. Who is out there seeking, like Jesus, I only do what I see the Father doing. Who's out there saying, God, what are you doing today? What are you doing today in my family? What are you doing today at my workplace? What are you doing today with the people that I hang out with every day? What are you doing? And let me help you in that. Let me participate with you in that. And sometimes that doesn't mean preaching or teaching. Sometimes that means just listening just listening and taking and just being present 
and being, being, yeah, being present, being close to, just like Jesus, incarnate. Coming and just dwelling with people. And from that, finding the time, I, the times that I'm quiet most amongst others are the times that I hear the Spirit most. And it's the times that he says, say this, or encourage here, pray with this person now. But when I'm always talking, you know, I'm not listening. So, we have the king who is about his work, about bringing glory to his name, about seeking and saving that which is lost. There's the kingdom in which it happens, and that is a place of grace. It's a place of goodness. It's a place of love. And then there's us. And we need to see ourselves and understand ourselves as, as both. But we need to understand that, that though there are times that we may be shameful towards the Father, and there are times when we may sound good before the Father, that ultimately there's a place where we need to get and participate with God in His work. Amen? Amen. Amen. While these guys are coming up, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for being that gracious Father. For inviting us in to be a part of your work. Like what God does that? What God invites his people to come and co-labor with him? You're amazing. You are amazing. So we say thank you for that invitation. And we thank you that, that we're not in a place where we're going to be judged by how well we do or how well we speak. It's a place of grace. So we say thank you for that. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come alongside and help us whether we're in a place of defiance or a place of being fake, that you help us to get past those places and get into the vineyard and start working. That, we, that it might be known of us that he did the will of the Father. She did the will of the Father. That this, this is my faithful son. This is my faithful daughter. In your name we pray. Amen.